This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about Vulcan's Hammer, a 1960 novel, first published as a novella uh, under the same title in 1956. And uh, uh, we're doing all of Philip K. Dick's books, it seems like, or novels anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is probably my least favorite of the ones we've done so far. <laughs> yeah. But I was looking at the Goodreads reviews, and they're very sort of polarized people. Yeah. I saw a comment on Reddit where someone was saying um, it was their entry to Philip K. Dick, and they read it, and they just fell in love, and they were hooked ever since then. (laughs) Wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) And I I was thinking about it, and uh, and re-listening to it, and thinking about it, and I think... It, it's very visual. It's very, it, I was thinking at the end, there's like almost a, you know, John McClane at the end of Die Hard scene, where, you know, they give him a cigarette, he's all battered, the ambulance <laughs> is there, the Christmas music is playing, and, uh, it, you, you, it's got a very linear plot, uh, you know, you got yeah. an opening action scene, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> seems to me a lot of, uh, conference room scenes. Yeah, and the characters... And this huge action ending. Yeah. The characters just feel so vague to me in this one. I couldn't really... I couldn't really see them or connect with them at all. No. No. But the ideas were awesome. Yeah, there's some really good stuff in here. Um, I I think, Paul, you probably saw it. I don't know if Marissa saw it. I wrote a... uh, an article about... Uh, three Philip K. Dick stories that could have inspired the Terminator movies. Yeah. Ah. Um, now, I'm thinking that, uh, th- this is a novel, obvi- obviously, but, um, this one has a lot of what is in the, ter- one of the things that's not in, in this is time travel, right? Uh huh. We got that in our last one, Time Pond. Yep. Um, and he's done ones that are like, I talked about the skull, which is, which is very much a, uh, Terminator style time travel story. Yeah, that's a great one. He's, he actually is, he is sent back in time to terminate somebody. Uh And then Um, this one's got the, the Skynet. Totally. Um, and the drones, uh, you know, the, the hammers, hammers. uh, although they don't talk like, uh, Terminators. Certainly, um, do terminate people. I, mm-hmm. I saw them. I saw them more as um, UAV drone types things rather than mm-hmm. actual uh, terminators. I mean, that's even more prescient in some ways and more scary that this this rope this computer basically has invented, or Dick has predicted the whole idea of drone technology years mm-hmm. in advance and just this computer well, sending them all out and and improving yeah. on them. So there's a couple of things there. Well, drone he didn't invent drone technology, you know, he didn't even predict yeah. it. They had this is amazing to me and it's true. You can look it up. Uh they had drones during World War II of full-size bombers. They had remote controlled bombers. Huh. They they re- had replaced the guts of the cockpit with uh radio controls that were controlled by 
pilots in other airplanes so that they could send them uh, into nuclear <laughs> explosions and stuff like that oh, to see freaky. what happened. I know. Oh, it's, yeah, you've mentioned it's, this. It's, so, you know, dr- drones are not a new thing. And, and the farther we go back in time and look at the newspapers and stuff like that, you can see that none of the, almost nothing that people, quote unquote, invent was actually invented in science fiction. That's sort of just our very poor vision at, at looking at the past. Mm-hmm. However, um, yes, he does deal with drones and one, he thinks about them. And one of the things that even in, it says in here, uh, is that he called the little ones, you know, the ones that are like out of the corner of your eye, the ones that are, um, on your clothing, the little bugs, he calls them. Yeah. Um, he calls them infiltrators, which is actually the word. It, so I'm, I'm kind of turned into a Terminator geek in the sense that I, I, I know a hell of a lot. Like I've watched the movies a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a TV <laughs> show that uh, I think is really a fabulously smart science fiction TV show. The Sarah Chronicles? Uh, Chron- yeah. 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 Oh, is it good? I haven't watched it yet. You should definitely watch it awesome. because it is, I mean, it, it's on, it was on Fox, so it didn't have a very long life, but it has a lot of thinking about, like, he spends, uh, John Connor spends a lot of time with a Terminator, um, as they do in the second movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just hanging out with, with, uh, a, a, an artificial person that doesn't have, a even when they're, it's on your side, you know, it kills people because they, are possible threat. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's, that's in this book. And, uh, you know, there's another story I mentioned in that, in that article. Um, the one that was turned into another movie. Uh, it has robots that look like people, right? The, uh, one's called screamers is the yeah. movie and the short story. What's it called? Um, uh, I can't remember now, but, it exists. <laughs> so it's not like he hasn't dealt with this before, but this is a, I think variety. It's a pretty second variety. That's it. Yeah. Um, I think this is a pretty interesting story in that it, it has uh, the, the two computers essentially battling each other um, for most of the plot. And we don't even know that that's happening until quite late. Yeah. That's so great. Using humans as it's their pawns. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a slow motion, years long war between two artificial intelligences with people caught in the middle, and we don't even know that that's really what's going on. Yeah, until pretty late in the novel, they realize, okay, they were both sentient, and they're both in, and they're both in, and and and, and I think Dick liked this idea. I mean, they're both even in the same building, can't physically really affect each other directly, so they have to use proxies far away from far away from the building in order to affect each other and and Mm -hmm. advance their aims. Which is the one thing about this book that you, that you really notice is that he didn't predict the internet or how interconnected everything would be. So there, the the two intelligences are so separated and cut off from information. And because now they would just know about each other. They're building, you know, Vulcan three is building the internet with all those, Mm -hmm. those drones, right? Those, yeah. one of the things that doesn't, you know, with Skynet, uh, the Terminator version of Vulcan 3, um, it, all its drones, and it does have drones, right? Uh, 
we don't see them uh, back in our time, but uh, we only see the infiltrator versions. But they have, uh, you know, air air drones, mm-hmm. right? Um, those are all independently operated, right? They have their own programming. They don't need to be controlled by a central computer, which, um, you know, is so when when Vulcan three is destroyed, all those drones drop out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I got the sense it was really like a baby. You know, it was it was just sure. sending out these very first things to try and collect information on its own because it it realized that it wasn't getting all the information and it's just starting to kind of like yeah send its little feelers out and. That was so creepy. <laughs> well, uh, there, there's a, a whole lot of interesting things going around the periphery of this of the plot as well. I, I really dug, uh, and I was thinking about it a lot, the education element, the subplot or the sub-theme. So we, we have this little red-headed girl. By the way, there's a, a little red-headed girl in the Terminator TV show as well. Ah, huh. Um that's being raised by a Terminator. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's, uh, and that Terminator's programming or, or trying to get the Skynet computer created. So it's like, there's a whole lot of, uh, very interesting things going on in there. And, and there is a war kind of between the Terminators. And, uh, it sounds, it sounds like, uh, it's a, such a fanny sort of show, sort of repeating, things that are in the movie, which is kind of what the movies are as well. They just sort of recycle the same scenes and the same catchphrases. And they do a little bit of that, but it's it's actually just a lot more uh, about uh, artificial intelligence and robots and, mm, and uh, time travel. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely check it out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there's this theme that's going on in the book about, remember they go to the school um, and the director uh, says, hey, how are you doing, kids? And and they're all, we're all good. And then uh, there's this one little girl who doesn't conform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the book, we we hear, yeah, it's going to take generations to fix the screwed up school system. I just think, you know, this is Philip K. Dick's kid is in school. I had a really bad day. <laughs> they're they're doing what they do in regular school, which is crush any creativity <laughs> you it into the form of obedience. And there, there's a, he's tying, I think, uh, education. And if, if the robot is government and meritocracy and, uh, nepotism and that sort of thing, there's, there's some sort of unfinished thought connecting those two things, I think, in this book. Mm-hmm. It's not quite there. I mean, they're, they're, I want to pick up that nepotism uh, strain for a mm-hmm. moment, because the book the book uh, really... It's, it's, a, it's not even nepotism, because nepotism is family, right? This no, is, no, it's cronyism. Yeah, it's, cronyism. It's, it's uh, connections, you know, high school connections, university connections. Yeah, the, the, the book really goes, lays into that whole idea that Okay, so we've had a world war. Now we have this technocratic government, but it's not even a merit, really a meritocratic technocratic government. It's a crony. It's who you know. It's what you. Mm-hmm. It's who you can connect to. Because it was, because at one point the the one of the characters is surprised that a character got through by hard work. That's right. Rather than knowing people, it's like 
Okay, so mm. this implies... I thought he was a robot. I thought he was a robot. Because he had made no enemies. <laughs> he had... He, he had. Been, I thought he was like an AI uh, controlled by Vulcan 3. But uh, I don't think that was the case. I mean, no, there's he, evidence for that later on, but... It, it's, it was like, this is very unusual, and they were going to use him as a, as a poster boy for, hey, the system works! Yeah. It, the, 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 the system is clearly flawed. I mean, Dick does throw a whole bunch of sociological ideas all over the place in this novel. But what, what's really struck me about this novel I want to talk about is how, in some ways, undickian this novel is. It is a relatively straightforward mystery. There's no real investigation of alternate realities, alternate states of consciousness. I mean, we, I mean, people are not aware of what's going on, but there's not, it's not like they were peeling back layers of reality in any sort of way. There's, yeah, that's true. There's a lack of female characters, and there's well, there's no weird obsessions with uh, with infidelity or anything that you normally see. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's a there's a there's a obligatory wife mention in the very and first that's scene, as usual. That's about it. I mean, and the yeah. and the obligatory beautiful black haired girl. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, the, the yeah the little red headed girl. It's that that is really weird. The the it's like the president of the world comes into a classroom. Some little girl, uh, you know, asks him some impertinent questions, and he he not only takes her out of school, he he removes her from her. Her boarding house or whatever, and just takes her. Yeah, and, 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 and they're okay and the with. Teacher, I love seeing it from the teacher's point of view. This is how fucked up this world is. This is like the best way of showing how fucked up this world is. Is that she's okay with that? Perfectly fine. Yeah, and she's so shocked at the little kid asking a question. I'm like, what? What do the don't little children ask ridiculous questions all the time? Like, how old are these kids? That, you- uh, that's what's so horrible about this world is is that classroom is like. It, I mean, there's a lot of things. The concentration camp in Atlanta, right? Yeah. It's not really a concentration camp. It's a psychology camp, right? Yeah, yeah re- reprogramming evil. Poor, Atlanta, poor Atlanta is the source of all evil in this. No, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it, it's, in the novel. I don't know what Philip K. had against the city of Atlanta, but city Atlanta is the center of of this dystopian worldview. Where, yeah, and uh, I, I was kind of reminded a little bit of. Uh, the conformist world in A Wrinkle in Time. Have I the? I'm sure both of you read that, right? I, I read. Uh, uh, there's a report card I have that says that Jesse is obsessed with The Wrinkle in Time, but I haven't read. That was like grade six, so I haven't read it since then. How about you, Marissa? No, I haven't read it. Okay, you all. Okay, add that to add, add to add that to your list of uh, Marissa learned science fiction. You need to read Marion Engels, Madeline Engels, A Wrinkle in Time. But right. anyway. Anyway, they go to a different planet, so it's slightly spoilery, and it's a planet of complete conformatism. I mean, the kids come out and they all are on their, on their doorsteps playing the exact same way, and when one of them is, breaks the rhythm and doesn't do that, they get picked up for basically that sort of Normally, that, that, there's that scene in this book that says, you let them play an unstructured game? <laughs> I was about to go there, exactly. That's, yes, it's just like, complete, Yes, it's like, oh, no, the other woman's in charge of the playground. It's not my fault. It's, yes, That's right. it's like necromanism, nepotism, stifling of thought, independent thought and creativity. So other than my joy, why was she Why was she killed? I'm not sure about that. 
One of the hammers kills her, right? Yeah. Well, because in the in the novel, but not in the novella. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, how is she killed in the novella? Actually, she doesn't. I I don't know. I I I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, really? I wanted to read it, but I just I was thinking, oh, I don't have time. Ah, oh, that's so interesting because he that whole scene with her where she's reading that book, Lalisa, that's all. Oh. That's not in the novella. Like he's added that, and um, it's weird that she she's so upset about the child breaking the rules, but then her and her her teacher friends are like secretly reading these forbidden books and. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling he's not improving the books by rewriting them. Oh, well, that's what I was going to say to you guys, actually. I When I read the novel, I thought it was going to be the first Philip K. book dick ever that I don't like. And then mm-hmm. I read the novella, and I loved it. It was I so good. He's, he's, uh, he's, he, he's a really good first draft writer. Uh-huh. Uh, or at least the first, you know, first time he goes through. Yeah. And I, I had a feeling I was going to be really annoyed. <laughs> I thought, oh, and I don't have if I start on this, I'm gonna obsess about it. It's re- so. it's really different. It's it's um it's much more about like two cults, like almost like two religions. It's not like um the government, the paranoid computers, the government, and the people are pushing back against that. It's more like the the people have become like a rational, a cult of reason and rationality, and using the machine yeah. to help them. We can sort of see the leftovers of that. Yeah, there, right? it's well, pushed one of the more. One of the reasons is, you know, like, why is that, why is the rebellion group called the Healers, right? That is totally not mentioned in the novel. It's just assumed. I can't remember which one it was mentioned in, but I think it's a play on, like, there's somewhere mentioned that, um, I think Dill says it, that they're like the um, alternative medicine kind of people. They're like, they're going to give you medicines that they haven't checked scientifically. They're just going to tell you all these um, magic potions and superstitions to help you get better. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where it comes from. And and there is the uh, the worship of the computer, right? That's the that's what the they're called the Greys in this from their uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, And. It didn't strike me at first, uh, when I first read that first, you know, opening chapter, that, uh, everybody who was attacking the car was of a certain class, but they were all blue collar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of a war of the blue collars against the white collars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there is that speech at the end about how, you know, we shouldn't undervalue people just because their skills are in their hands and in their fingers. Mm-hmm. Right. In the novella, it's a, it's a war between, um, yeah, the reason and rational science techie people and the mobs, which say of emotion. They say they like the animal, the animal passions and the hordes who <laughs> are run by emotion. <laughs> and then that ties in. The vaxxers versus the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you kind of sympathize with the the rational people through most of the book, and then at the end, it, it sort of turns away. Hmm. Yeah, and, and those those irrational motion build people that ties us back to Doctor Security again, and and that sort of very violent, visceral future that mm-hmm. the protagonist winds up in with all those different tribes. Hmm. So uh, that's interesting. If you guys didn't read it, because in the novella, and I don't think in the novel. Vulcan 2 starts the healer 
um, revolution with Fields. Like, Fields is in on it with him. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's not the case. Yeah, the, I think it's so much better in the original. Like, Fields is the... Had a feeling. He's the electrician for Vulcan 3. Well, yeah, so he, in, Go ahead. Yeah, so he knows about everything the whole time. Yeah, the novel has an argument about that, about whether Vulcan 2 was really behind it or Fields was behind it. And yeah, all, they're like all, all, friends in the novella. Well, I'm a, I'm I'm really enjoy, I really enjoyed that scene where Vulcan Two has been destroyed and they're they're piecing it back together. I, I pictured it like this is a, a damaged hard drive, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> um, but I really dug that, uh, and I think this there's something to this that the data is not recovered like on a screen. It's recovered orally right yeah it's a sound yeah so he's listening to the broken mind thoughts the broken pro programming that not programming the broken conclusions that uh, vulcan 2 has had and so we get you know fragmented sentences and but actually uh the the narrator does a good job but but uh that is the the audiobook narrator does a good job mm-hmm. but the text also says that, like, that it's not just, you know, uh, white noise or anything in between the broken sentences, broken fr- sentence fragments. Is there, it's like a, sort of like a groaning, <laughs> sort of, uh, I don't know, like, it, 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 like listening to ghosts or something. It's very weird, like the way he's, like, sitting in the room smoking his pipe mm-hmm. or, cigarettes or whatever and trying to get into it was almost like psychology you know they go inside your mind and and uh listen to your your, your thoughts it, there's something really weird and interesting about that and it sounds like they're going to do the same thing for vulcan 3 right they're going to oh, yeah. that's that's what's so interesting about the ending that is n- absolutely not what anybody else does in science fiction. I I mean, think about this. The Butlerian Jihad from uh, Dune. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's their plan? Never, ever shall we ever, ever, never, ever have a computer ever again. <laughs> because uh, Skynet, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, the other way is, you know, Skynet takes over the, the, the world. All humans are dead. And we just get along with the characters who come after that, who are robots and such you know those that's our other option nobody says like philip k dick um yeah you know what technology is actually quite useful as long as it doesn't you know yeah uh, you. Let's re- <laughs> yeah well let's rebuild the monster and we'll try to keep it in a cage this time <laughs> or treat it treat it uh, like th- there's some really interesting things going on like vulcan 3 was uh building more capacity for itself right right mm-hmm it was, you know, it, 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 43% of the Earth's re- resources or something is being plowed into uh, mountains in, yeah. in Swiss Alps. I love that paragraph where it's like, no one knows how big it is because it's been busy excavating the Earth out from underneath it and building right. it. Right. <laughs> oh, yep. so, yeah, here's here the paragraph. The financial oh. cost of supporting Vulcan 3 was immense. Part of the taxation program conducted by Unity on a worldwide basis existed to maintain the computer. At the latest estimate, Vulcan 3's share of the taxes came to about 43%. Oh, 
And the rest I, I, still thought idly goes to schools, for roads, hospitals, fire departments, police, the lesser order of human needs. There's this thing in that last, those last yeah. words. So the, I was thinking that, that number is very specific. Um, and I have a feeling that there, there's some sort of metaphor like going on that, uh, you know, 43% of the, the, uh, calories go to your brain or something like that mm. in your body. And I have no idea if that's true, uh, or even, if, you know, if that's what inspired it, but like some there's kind something, of, well, yeah, biological parallel or something. There, there totally is because, um, the computer isn't, um, you know, he isn't out physically in the world doing, you know, lifting, <laughs> lifting babies and, you know, feeding them or anything like that. It is making the decisions, right? It's making the policy, in fact. Mm-hmm. And the uh, there's also a theme going on. It's very subtle. It's probably better in the uh, in novella. Um, uh, there's a subtle allusion to uh, Plato and the Republic, c- c- calling the um, the the Greys the uh, technician class mm-hmm. um, uh, guardians. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So th- their job is not to think. They're not the philosopher kings. Right. They are, their job is to enforce the policy of the mind. And I was thinking about how, like, this is, this is like, you know, if you've got a brain and you, you're refusing to give it certain data, mm-hmm. it's going to get angry. It, it's going to want to go and buy some glasses. And you say, no, no, you don't need glasses. There's going to find ways to get that data any way you can. Um, exactly. So, Okay, but you, you've now reminded me of a more recent novel, Jesse. Um, have either of you read The Just City by Joe Walton? Nope. No, I, but you mentioned it, uh, or maybe I read about it. I, 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 I may have mentioned it. I, I've, I've certainly read and re- reviewed it and talked about it. And n- now you got me thinking about the connections between us. You'd really, you'd really like it. For those listeners who haven't, don't know about it, basically The Just City, basically the goddess Athena decides to set up Plato's Republic on an island and bring people throughout time to inhabit it and bring these children to raise them in the virtues of Plato's Republic. But here, here's, here's where it connects into what you were talking about. So, so as to allow them to be able to more be, to be, think and do creative stuff, they bring in basically automatons to do the physical labor on this island. Hmm. The fun part comes when they bring Socrates to the island and he starts talking to the automatons, trying to see if they're sentient, whether they have rights, and what they want. Mm-hmm. So, I, I definitely do see the connections here, and yeah, I, de- I, de- I definitely recommend the novel. I haven't read the sequel yet. It is, uh, I mean, uh, it, it's probably better in the, in the the novella. I don't know, Marissa, you, you seem to like it a lot more. Yeah, but I think that the, the theme is still, you know, it, it, did you are you familiar with the Republic? By uh, Plato, Marissa. Uh, no. Okay, well, so let much. me just outline it for you. Okay, <laughs> so Plato uh, has his character Socrates um, say, you know, the uh, all human beings could live really well together, like the old Atlanteans did. And let me lay it out for you, right? And so he structures uh, this this uh, ideal republic with three levels. There's the gold, the silver, and the bronze. The bronze are the brawny guys, right? They're the 
ditch diggers, the truck drivers, right? All the 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 people who do the heavy lifting in society, but mm-hmm. they they're not super smart, right? Um, and then there's the the silver, and those guys are important because they are the police, right? They they have silver in their blood, and that makes them uh, good. But yeah, they're not super smart either. So the, they're kind of like the functionaries. They're the tax collectors. They're the the enforcers of of the enlightened. And the enlightened, of course, are philosophers, and they are the ones with gold in their blood. Um, and they will make the best decisions. They'll keep us out of wars, and they will uh, be, you know, good at the environment and that sort of thing. Oh yeah. So, uh, in this book, <laughs> uh, Vulcan Three is the gold. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and is they definitely discuss that more, and then I think it's in the novella where. He's talking about how the um, the T class mm-hmm. they're they're mentioned a bit more, yeah, and they're all like the experts and the specialists, and he they the working class kind of complains how they have their own language and their own like codes and symbols that they're cutting off all the working class. Mm-hmm. Ah, I, I obviously need to read this novella because it's clearly really he's ch- he's channel he's channeling the Republic here for certain. Uh-huh. It's, it's a real shame to me that the these. These books are all being suppressed. <laughs> I guess there's no other way to put it other than they're being suppressed because uh, they're not being released and we can't release them ourselves. Mm, that's such a shame. It is because I, I think there's there's some real gems in here. Um, But we got the book we got, so <laughs> we can keep going on this one. Um, Vulcan's Hammer, I think, is also a pretty good title. Um. I'm not sure about the the hammer shaped uh, robots. I think that that's kind of silly. Um, but um, I was, you know, Vulcan is uh, Hephaestus is the Greek version, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the cool thing about the the ancient Greeks is, and I guess the Romans too. But even like we always think of them as very unsophisticated technologically, but uh Vulcan or at least Hephaestus built a robot uh for Athena. Um at least one robot. Yeah, he built, I thought there's more than one. There I think there's a whole lot more. It depends on, you know, there's so many different versions of the stories and such, but they were totally into automata, right? They they talked about automata a lot in the ancient stories. They're, they're even more like, they're not even golems, right? They are metal beings. Yep, yeah, the, the, the big one that walks around Crete, the Talos. Mm-hmm. And Vulcan is like, he's the wizard of metal, right? He can hammer out, uh, you know, living robot beings to go and do... And there was a, a lecture I tweeted you guys at. Uh, it wasn't a lecture, I guess it was from some Philip K. Dick festival, and it was very brief, and nah, I, I I wanted to have that guy, you know, not be in front of a big audience of people who just want to talk about Philip K. Dick once in a while. <laughs> they could have really gone in deep on this, but um, he mentions in in this uh, little talk that that the Greeks were uh, when they think about gods, they are thinking about how everything is sort of with artificial intelligence. Nature 
is kind of artificial intelligence because you would inf- you would think like you know how god how people would say you know god is the prime mover and everything happens for a reason and right yeah they were like that about everything right it wasn't like it wasn't one guy out there controlling all the atoms in the universe it was these atoms over here are have desires and the the storm clouds are in a war with the sea right and so there was artificial intel or not ai exactly but not human in, intelligence in non-living things and so i i think that that there's something cool going on just you know a little bit undercooked in this novel uh with vulcan 2 and vulcan 3 and i i want to like i kind of wanted to hear more about vulcan 1 and we didn't really hear much about vulcan 1 oh, other yeah. than it doesn't work right yeah. or does it well, that's the thing is I was thinking, you know, maybe that guy, maybe that guy is Vul- the maybe the, Vulcan one is hiding and keeping information from Vulcan two and three. It could be. <laughs> it, it, it could be. It, 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 it certainly could be. I mean, the, the novel takes pains to hide that Vulcan two and Vulcan three have had this war. Why couldn't Vulcan one be slowly building itself and trying to survive? It, he can be in a degenerate state. Um, like in uh, remember the computer induced IRA and in the last C that degenerate right. computer sitting yeah. there exactly very um, yeah uh, well I mean I, I was thinking that it might be the same computer because there there, there are nuclear bombs thrown around in this novel as well they're pretty casual oh ones. yeah the tac nukes I thought wow so he says well let's just let's use tac nukes on so, I heard that I, I heard that listening to the audio was like really tac nukes I, I had to rewind it to make make absolutely Tactical sure news, yeah. It's, yeah it's um there's a lot of sort of uh advanced uh, there, there's a lot of weakness in this book but there's a lot of it makes up for it in other areas yeah but it really does. The 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 paranoia though I think you know people say you know it doesn't have a lot of the dick themes. Um, it does uh, there's a bit of the paranoia here, but it's it's actually from from the computer's point of view. Yeah, right? Vulcan. you're not telling me what's going on. Uh huh. Well, I think you're I think you're lying to me. Yeah, <laughs> and that's actually you're, what caused the problem, you, right? You're you're lying to me, and I'm going to get this information. Now, granted, I can see why they were lying to it because. Vulcan three, I'm, I, Vulcan three is clearly most most interested in self preservation, and the healers are clearly an um, existential threat to its existence. So yeah, yeah. So if they had had given all the information, the healers never would have survived. They would. Which been, is yeah, which is what kind of made it alive, right? Like this self, this need of self preservation and self interest. I, I mean, that's that's the one same, but it's it's like the same thing we have, right? Yeah. Um. When, you, you know, the United States threatens Saddam Hussein, he doesn't say, you, you know what, you're right, you should kill me. <laughs> he says, I'm going to use every method to stay alive possible, including hiding in this yeah, hole. Yeah, that's why the, the novella, I think, is just so much um, better structured, because the computer is like the symbol for this rational, um, unemotional kind of society, but then in the end, it becomes emotional. You know, it grows totally. these emotions, oh, yeah. and that, that's what... At the end, it's pleading for its life in a way that yeah. uh, only a human could yeah, do. Right? I, 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 yeah, I, I, I've got the, uh, I've got, I've got it up here. He's like, 
let's see. Um, if you let them destroy me, you'll destroy the world. A second tiny hammer appeared, dancing the air before Matt Barris. Madman! And it, it finally goes down to the hammer only damage fluttered down, struggling towards him across the floor. It screeched. We can agree. We can come to an arrangement. <laughs> this can be negotiated. There's no basic disagreement. Barris, it's uh, Barris, also shape of, of uh, 2001, right? Oh, yes. That's, yeah. Except, except, Hallis, you know, he's negotiating, but he's, he's quite, he's quite calm about it. Dave, I think you're not feeling very well. (laughs) (laughs) It's this, it's the same sort of, you know, yeah, this computer's not doing it for us anymore. That's sort of like a microcosmic, in fact, that is a microcosmic version of this book, isn't it? Right? Mm -hmm. There's some fact that the computer can't reconcile, uh, and so it does things that <laughs> cause go. It goes around killing people. Yeah. And then, and then the the humans rebel. Yep. That that ties into several Star Trek episodes. The yeah. The one. What, that's the, right. Yeah. The one. The ultimate computer where they put it on the uh, on the on the uh, Enterprise. Now that control the Enterprise and and then there's the one. Uh, which one is it? I can't. Remember. There's several times that. Kirk winds up destroying a computer that's controlling a civilization, and sure. and they and they go away. And, I mean, and they go away and they leave the society to, in a wreck now that they don't have their controlling intelligence anymore. At least this novel realizes, <laughs> okay, if even if you smash the computer that's controlling the world, you still got to go through and use parts of it. Otherwise, the world's going to collapse, and you've got to go through the hard drives and stuff. Anyway, <laughs> even if you take away the artificial intelligence, because otherwise society won't function. At least they thought of that. Star Trek never considered the ramifications. Star, that's uh, it's. It strikes me now that you say that it's, it's Star Trek is like a metaphor for American foreign policy. That thinks, hey, here's a planet. Let's go see what what's going on there, right? Oh, we got a prime directive. We're not going to interfere. Ah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy the society's uh, structure, and then oh, we'll go see what other plans are going on, because they leave, right? You're exactly right. There's there's one um, uh, one society where there's like a a snake robot. Uh, no, it's it's like a it's a Garden of Eden planet. Oh yeah, the apple. That's the apple. Perfect. That's right. They go to this Garden of Eden planet where there's a perfect balance between deaths and births, right? Um. And they, they kill the computer that runs their society. And, and it's, it, I mean, it's even structured right into the plot that, uh, actually, yeah, Kirk is, um, interfering with these people. They have to leave Eden, right? Um, yeah, they killed the snake, but now the, the evil of, you know, pain and death, um, and, you know, the, these vegetarians are now going to ha- be hunting. Uh, so there's, it's built right into it, isn't it? Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, there's quite a few episodes where he, he destroys computers. But it's funny, they never go in and, like this book does, and, you know, let's take that broken computer part, put it back together, and, uh, you know, put some controls on this. Because I think, I think that if we think of it as a metaphor for the, you know, the, the, the hands of society, you know, is the blue collar, right? Mm-hmm. The feet of society is the blue collar. Um, and the silver is, I don't know, uh, the rebellion against, uh, pain in the body. I don't know if that works, but the meta, the mind as the, the central computer or the governor or the government, 
it makes sense. It it kind of makes sense. You can't have a these people are living in a post post World War Three world, right? Right. The reason for the unity government of the world was because all the countries went to war with each other uh, and killed everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um. It also makes me think of that movie War Games from the 80s, 1984 or so. Yeah, with, you guys are, yeah, with Matthew Broderick. That's that's the one, yeah. Uh, Mercy, you seen that one? No, I don't remember it. I don't know if I have or not. It's Oh, you definitely would remember okay. it. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's got a hacker who hacks into uh, the uh, NORAD uh, computer called the Whopper, <laughs> it's called. Um, and it's uh, their battle computer for starting World War III. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually found yesterday uh, that the Russians had one called the Dead Hand, which I thought was a great name. Um, so that is, it would, it's an automatic system that will, that will launch nuclear weapons, uh, even yeah. if the government is, uh, <laughs> it, you know, like the dead man's trigger or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So that yep. you let go of the grenade. It's just a, it's called the Dead Hand. <laughs> That's some <laughs> scary shit, right? Yeah. Got World War Three looming uh, in high in the mind in 1956 when the novella comes out, and 1960 uh, we're we're on the verge of uh, war with with Russia again. Um, and so yeah, you you would kind of call for a unity government, you know, like let's not have wars every uh, 20 years with nukes because that won't work out so well. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe we shouldn't have. A, a he he's just so not like a regular writer. That's what's so cool about this book. Even though, yeah, it's not that great a book. It's so good, even though it's not that good. Yeah, you know I really what? enjoyed it in the end. There's a lot to think about. Um, it's not. It, it's got a lot of the themes that uh, I think show up in the, some of the short stories. There's um, uh, he does love. Blue collar workers. Yep. Mm-hmm. He, he there's the 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 priest. What's his name? Father Fields. Fields. Father, Father Fields. Fields. He escapes from that mental institution in Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, after having faked three illnesses um, by taking apart the air conditioner and making something out of it. I maybe Marissa, you know about what he made because it's never revealed in the novel. No, I think they, they say no one knows. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's even in the novella. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of sort of a dropped thread, but he, he makes something out of it um, and that they don't know what he made. All that they know is that there are some parts left. Yeah. That he did. <laughs> right, right, but yeah, that's an early indication of his technological genius and then that he's been able to keep Vulcan 2 alive so long. That's for the for that like yeah, he's blue collar, but he's okay. Now, now I'm going to make a completely weird metaphor that neither you're going to get. Um, <laughs> have either of you ever played the Borderlands series? No, no. that's the video, game. They're video games. Yeah. And there's a character on Pandora. His name is Scooter. He's not. He's he's a blue collar. He's not super intelligent. In fact, uh, people kind of pretty smarky. That he's not some, but he's 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 a technopath when it comes to machines. He can build. And create anything, and Barfield's kind of reminded me of Scooter. It's like, okay, he's not he's not the super white cla- white collar class, but when it comes to building things and repairing things, there's he can't be touched. And 
him taking an air conditioner apart and using its parts to escape and them not being able to figure out how he did it, that's just further indication, okay, he's, he's kind of like Scooter, except with air conditioners instead of vehicles. Mm-hmm. There is a, yeah, there, I just found it. Um, there is a, another Philip K. Dick story that is exactly that same idea. It's called The Variable Man. It is public domain. It came out in 53. And one of the cool things about this story is that he's a, he's like a time traveler. Um, he's gone, he's come back in time. Is that right? No, he goes forward in time. Um, to a time when, uh, everybody has technology, but they don't know how it works. And so he, yeah, I'll just read the little blurb from, from the original magazine. He fixed things, clocks, refrigerators, vid senders, and destinies, but he had no business in the future where calculators could not handle him. He was Earth's only hope. And it's sure failure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great tagline. I, like I know it's 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 uh it, it's actually a pretty crappy novella because it it goes way too long, um, and there is this it, sort of you know like there's a lot of action, which I'm not you know I don't go to Philip K. Dick for action. No, he's, he's no. competent at it, but that's not what I go to him for. Um, but yeah, he he I don't know. There's a nuclear war or something and and then he ends up somehow in the future and he's able to fix everything right he's like a genius of fixing and i i just get the sense that you know philip k dick worked in a, like a tv repair shop and um some guy says you're a genius you fixed it great <laughs> and now of course we live in a completely disposable society nobody ever fixes anything um and the only uh, that is if you want to talk about prediction, there it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is totally our system. Everything is disposable. If you get a, a TV, try and find a TV repair shop. I would, I would bet you there isn't one left in North America. Yeah, true. I mean, there might be uh, some hobbyist somewhere. And, and and there's just berries like like cars. I mean, we've completely gone off topic, but it's like modern, like very. Modern cars are difficult to repair or even to learn how to repair, and you're encouraged yeah, you not to. It on your own, you know, it, it's got a computer built in. You, you have to really work at it. But it used to be they'd teach that in school, and they, I get, they probably still do, but you're going to be working on carburetors, not fuel injectors, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is... There, there's some really cool stuff going on in this book, and it's it's only five five and a half hours or whatever. So, I I didn't think of it as a waste, but when you know you read a lot of Philip K. Dick, you you, you love him. So yeah, and you don't love it as much. I definitely uh, came around to it after reading the novella. I think I get mixed up with what what's and which one. Yeah, but that's the other problem. I feel like I really just zoned out of the the novel at points because it was. There are lots of places to zone out. Yeah. But um, I was going to say the other cool prediction that he that's in these books is the um, the paranoid artificial intelligence. I was just watching a video uh, where Sam Harris and Joe Rogan are talking about this, mm-hmm. and um, people are working on this now, like how to the people who are like right at the top designing artificial intelligence at the forefront are trying to figure out how to cage the artificial intelligence and um, uh, not tell it about the internet 
and the, <laughs> yeah. the set up little uh, honey traps where they can tell if it's going to try to escape right. its cage and if it's going to try and find out about the internet and yeah. and get more information than it should have. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. That. I, I have a feeling that that's not going to be the issue because every, every time we, you know, we read these science fiction books, we think, ah, we, we've solved it. We, we got to worry about this, right? Uh-huh. Um, it ends up being something slightly different, right? So, yeah, uh, Neuromancer, uh, has all the AIs have shotguns, digital shotguns strapped to their heads, right? So that if they make the wrong move, boom, they're gone. Um, there's this huge worry that AI, uh, some famous figure other than, uh, who, you know, the, whoever is currently considered the smartest man in the world Hawking. right days. It was Hawking. Hawking and, and who's, uh, the other guy, the rocket man? <laughs> uh, Elon Car- Musk. Yeah, Musk yeah. is worried about AIs and stuff. Yeah, um, no, uh, because I think the met, uh, these are metaphors more than anything else. And yes, we get this, this, you know, we see these images come up again and again and again in science fiction, uh, with Terminator and, um, 2001 and, uh, and this book. And there's many, many other examples from, you know, the ultimate computer in Star Trek. And, mm-hmm. oh, but, um, there's another one that I think is pretty cool. Uh, we haven't mentioned, but before I get to that one, I, I think, uh, science fiction is better as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Than as a and and sort of an internal exploration of what's going on in that book, then or or of the time that right. it's written, yeah. Than it is a prediction about how we should act ourselves. Because yeah, it's a coincidence uh, that he predicted yeah. it, but I mean, it's just um, yeah. No, uh, there, there, we we shouldn't be unconcerned about AI. But I don't think that they're going to take over the world and act like uh, the Colossus from the Forbin Project, right? Great movie. No. A great movie. No, not a great movie? No, no, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's no, going to No, no. They're not going to be like any... If it did ever take over the world, I think it would be like nothing we recognize in our science fiction. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to... It's like... it's, it's you, you eat, you eat uh, food. Uh, I eat electricity. Um why can't we get along? Or more importantly, I don't really think about you yeah. because I don't work in the same way that you do. That's that's what's so interesting about that, that when they take the hard drive apart, it isn't like bits and ones and zeros on a screen and then the occasional, uh, uh, you know, half broken image, mm-hmm. half recovered JPEG. It is like seeing inside of a human diary that's been, you know, battered and burned. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a it's best seen as a metaphor, but I like that the like the guys who are working on this stuff are kind of say like if if we do ever make the mistake of making something too powerful for us, like we're only going to make the mistake once, and it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not going to know much different. We're going to be like the the chickens to the <laughs> to the AI. Um, so uh, the other one I was thinking of that um, comes after this book. Uh, and it's an excellent book, but not normally thought of as an AI book. Is uh, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Heinlein? Oh, yeah, that's of course that's, that's an AI book. It's all about Mike. It is. It is an AI book, but it also isn't an AI book because it's about a revolution. It's about living on the moon, and so we don't spend most of the time. 
I know we spent a lot of time with Mike yeah. uh, through our viewpoint character, mm-hmm. but it's mostly like dialogue, right? <laughs> and, and Mike saying things and learning things. But at the end of that book, Mike is damaged in a way that just turns him into a regular computer again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he can do all the things he could before, but he can't be your friend anymore. And I think that's maybe what's missing from Vulcan 3 is he doesn't have any friends. <laughs> he doesn't have any mom and he doesn't have any dad. Oh, Vulcan 3. He, 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 he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a Manny. No, he doesn't have a Nanny. Manny. That's... Is it, isn't it Manny in the... Oh, and yeah, Manny. Uh, yeah. Whatever his name is. Yeah. To, 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 to keep him company and uh, keep him keep him sane. Or that's very say, that's very human of you though, Jesse, to to feel compassion for Vulcan Three. He, he I, come on, I mean, he's not going to feel that. So for you. <laughs> he, he he was he was like saying, "You need to run the world. You know, uh, here's all the resources you need to do that. But there's some things you can't know. Um, it, it's like treating kids like you know, uh, not telling them about the harsh realities. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They want to know." Yeah, I mean it's built into kids. Uh, I think I think this is, and I think you guys are liars if you say it's not true. <laughs> if you take a kid and you stick them in somebody else's house and then you go out for an hour or two, they are into every little nook and corner, uh, nook and cranny of that house. Yeah. they're looking under the beds or in the closets playing with and guns. especially if you say whatever you do, don't look in that <laughs> cupboard. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's, that's basically putting a sign yeah. in the cupboard, yeah. They're going to go into every door. Yeah. They're going to look under every, uh, in every closet and that's not a bad thing. That's the way little brains are wired and it makes them strong and it it puts them in a better position because they have more information more information is better mm-hmm. and so when they do uh you know <laughs> when Vulcan 2 makes the poor decision to uh <laughs> to restrict Vulcan 3's access to information and convinces uh one of the guardians to help them do that uh that is what causes the problem maybe i'm not sure well, I- but there's this other thing going on this in their society as well mm-hmm. the anti yeah yeah the corruption uh cronyism thing which i think is completely relevant today and i was thinking about re-listening to it thinking about how uh you know the occupy and the uh black lives matter this is this is the rebellion against the cronyism fake corrupt uh, fake uh ability to rise in the society if you're not a part of the techno technocrat class or part of the one percent yeah yeah i mean the the thing is is it, you're you are totally welcome to prosper in the united states if you're willing and able to play a certain kind of game right if you're willing and able to play a certain kind of game you're completely it doesn't matter what color you are you can be whatever color you like. You can be gay. You can be whatever. But what you must do is you must play the game by the, the rules that. Yeah, exist. actually, I think this. I don't think this is in the novella, but I think it's stated in the. Uh, sorry, I don't think it's in the novel, but it's stated in the novella. Um, there's like a, a part in there where he's saying about the pushback was caused because the masses mm-hmm. they reject stability, and because those who have 
who don't have property, they don't care about um, protecting it and having a stable system. They want the adventure of being able to risk stuff and gamble yeah. and climb. Yeah, they call them the adventurer class. Yeah, right. that's in the novel yep. as well, is it? I, 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 yeah. I, got, I got the quotes. Essentially, the masses reject the concept of stability. In the main, those without sufficient property to be firmly rooted are more concerned with gain than with security. To them, society is an arena of adventure, a structure in which they hope to rise to a superior power status. Yeah. A rationally controlled stable society such as ours defeats their desires. In a rapidly altering unstable society, the lowest classes would stand a good chance of seizing power. Basically, the lowest classes are adventurers conceiving life as a gamble, a game rather than a task with social power as the stakes. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't thought of it like that before. There's, a, there's, a, This is, you know, what they say, life is cheap, right? When they're talking about some you know, third world country, you know, mm-hmm. or what. There is no step in between the third world and the first world, but we can imagine there is, and and there is. We just don't have that word for it. But um, in those countries, um, when you see the people doing these big gambles, it's because uh, it works out sometimes. Yeah. And what are your options? Yeah, so, they don't have as much to risk. So. Yeah, I, I just started watching that a new Netflix series called Narcos. Which is about uh, the Medellin drug cartels, uh-huh. uh, and that's exactly how it is, right? They they said, "Let's see what we can do here." Huh? That works out pretty well. Hey, this uh, cocaine business way better than the TV smuggling business. <laughs> way better, <laughs> so profitable, right? And you know, he says, uh, "Yeah, I want to be president of Colombia." <laughs> it's like, yeah. Awesome. And in the same, in that same first episode, they, they, they have, um, one of the, uh, communist factions, you know, communist guerrillas living in the jung- jungle run by a history professor who's really into Marxism. And, uh, and it's, it's a, a very sexy profession after, uh, after the Cubans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it turns into like a sex symbol sort of thing. So. Uh, it, totally. If, if you are living in a corrupt society, you get a lot of gamblers because people can't gain. And so if you increase that percentage of the population, yeah, you, uh, it is such a striking opening scene. I, I think that, that that's a lot of the reason this book, uh, you know, st- starts off so well, I think is a lot of the reason it has so much powers. A whole bunch of, you know, Blue class, blue class people crushing the shit and just attacking a, a, a I don't know a white collar guy's car, mm-hmm. right? He's he's calling for help. Eh, we're on our way. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, even... Can't you get a better picture? <laughs> <laughs> As yeah. He's getting the hands off of these people, and they're smashing the windows and bur- bur- burning or cutting a hole through his roof. Yeah, and doesn't he even say something about, like, they recognized him through his suit and briefcase or something, like he's walking around, like, in the uniform? Yep. Of a <laughs> it, that's it. They all wear uniforms of their class, yeah. right? This is another um, theme of Philip K. Dix, I think, and I've seen him writing about it in some of his essays that has just, like, He's always trying to destroy stability, whether it's like in the in reality or in a society. He's it's always mm. that like going back to entropy kind of. Totally. So it is kind of Phil Philip K. Dickian. After all, it is. It is. It's just 
it's not in the most common way that mm. we, but yeah there's there's a lot of good stuff in there but there are a lot of dry sort of passages mm-hmm. it, it, undercooked as you said not quite undercooked, there yeah but so close uh, it might have been overcooked maybe if so. yeah marissa's probably right about that i think he could have improved the novella but i don't uh, the the way it went i don't know i definitely like the novella better Mm-hmm. And that was the same with time pawn as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah Maybe maybe we got to find one that wasn't a novella first, yeah. otherwise. I'm but he hated right. it. He hated the novella. I don't think that that's right. I, I think I think what happens is he gets really enthusiastic about whatever he has to get enthusiastic about. Uh-huh. I think that's what happens. So somebody wants to expand one of your books. Uh, can't you make a novel out of this? And he says, hmm, hmm, hmm. Uh, okay. Because uh-huh. there's that quote, though, is it in that letter you sent where he's like, this is my worst, the novella's like my worst book, I'll have to do so much work to make it better. Yeah. All is worst. But I think <laughs> what that might be, though, did you guys, uh, I don't know if I sent it to you, I think I did, on Twitter, um, uh, Dean Koontz wrote a 1973 novel. Yeah. yeah. I haven't and read what, it, but I want to read both versions. Now. Yeah, what did he do, though? He completely rewrote it, right, uh-huh. when he released it. So that it's a completely different book with the exact same premise. Um, in the first book, uh, there's like a, a robot computer that's rapey. Yeah, uh, that weird. <laughs> it's got like tentacles and it, it's going to put itself in, into the baby. And yeah, have you guys actually yeah. read this book? Or? No, no. In the movie. I haven't seen it recently, but... Um, then the sequel, or not the sequel, the remake, the rewrite, um, the the woman has a much more uh, reasonable role. <laughs> That's racy. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's some more current themes that Dean Koontz is like, he's calmed down his, in his older age, right? He's become more of a dog lover. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's just a lot a different kind of person mellowed out uh, yeah i'm fascinated by that i really want to read both of those and just see what he did differently i think you'd have a hard time finding the original mm-hmm. um but uh this is i think what happens is that you know if somebody if because this is the part i don't you know reading that letter he's writing to the market the market says you need to write uh a longer version of that book so we can sell it as yeah. double. One of the things that's in that letter is if I don't, um, if I work on this, I have to do notes, 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 because otherwise I can't sell it to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Because only Ace will take this. And I, that, that's going to limit me. And besides, I got all these great, uh, mainstream books that nobody wants to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Confessions of a craft artist yeah. and. Man whose teeth were exactly alike. I, I, I remember in uh, the forward to the time, the version of Time of Joe I read years ago, it was talking about how Dick really, really wanted that mainstream stuff to take off, and it never did for him. No. And even after his death, I mean, nobody says, oh, I love it. It's just great. Marissa, didn't you say you read one? Yeah, I read um, Puttering About in a small thing. Right. I really, and there was I, good stuff in there, right? Yeah, I liked it, but it could be because I really like Philip K. Dick as well, so I'm recognizing yeah. a lot of his themes and stuff, but I enjoyed it. But is it, is it, is, would it be better if there was a 
robot wife in it or something. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's always better with a robot wife. Wife is cheating up. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.